Well, our scripture reading from this morning comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. So if you want to have a moment to pull that up in your own Bible, or however you access that, you can take a second to find that, and then that's also be on the, the screen behind me to follow along that way. All right, from God's word we read, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth or beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath for the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but the seventh day he rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. And maybe if one of the ushers wouldn't mind, I know I never drink water when you bring it to me, but today I actually need some. So if someone grabbed me a glass of water and brought that up, that would be fantastic. <clears throat> there we go. So one problem, some people say, and I might agree, one problem that we have in our culture today is that many people know Christians almost entirely by what we are against, or at least what they have heard that we are against. Now that we're a couple of generations past the point when church attendance and some kind of basic Christian education was normal, people really, in some cases, have no direct experience with the church, with the teachings of Christianity. Many of them see Christians as people whose main priorities are being against things, against rights for LGBTQ people, against abortion, against racial justice, against environmental concerns, against anything perhaps that comes from the left side of the political spectrum generally. And there are, to be sure, some loud Christians, some groups who do seem all in on these things. And sadly, they sometimes damage the witness of the church by behaving as though they're not obliged to act in love so long as they are waging their culture war. 
And this at least is part of the reason why some people's impression of the Bible is that it is this harsh book. It is filled with outdated rules about what not to do. And it's important that we don't buy into this line of thinking that is, I think, pretty prevalent around us, both for our own understanding of what Christianity is, but also for that sake of the larger witness of the church. Because the gospel message isn't stop doing all these kinds of things or bad things will happen. The gospel message is really, here is Jesus who gave his very life for you, follow him. I see the Christian journey of faith as one where we seek to trust and depend on God and we pursue Christ-likeness as part of that. It's a journey toward a healthy and whole life that's found in faithfulness to God. Thanks very much. Now, none of this is to say that the Bible doesn't have rules and doesn't have lists of bad things that we're supposed to avoid. I mean, how could it not? If God is, in fact, our loving creator, then it's no surprise that he would want to warn us about things that could harm us or others. I mean, I like the idea of being a positive parent as much as I can, but sometimes you just have to get very serious and stern and say, no, you cannot wrap that around your sister's neck. You cannot wrap anything around anybody's neck ever, just to use a really hypothetical random example there. The Bible's lists of the shalls and the shall nots are important. If we receive them properly, they're they're very helpful to the spiritual practices we've been focused on through the month of March, which are self-examination and confession. And so what I want to look at this morning is what it means to properly receive them in a way that helps us trust and depend on God in pursuit of Christ-likeness, because the shall nots can do that for us. And in order to get there, I'm going to talk a little bit about the nature of law in the Bible, how to use some of the laws and commands we find there for self-examination and confession, and how that can help us be people who show the world what it is that Christians should, in fact, be most passionately against. So I chose Exodus 20 uh, today, which you probably recognized as containing the Ten Commandments, or as if we take the Hebrew literally, they're called the Ten Words. These are instructions that are at the foundation of the religious and civil laws of Israel. And if you sum them up as concisely as possible, the Ten Commandments basically say, don't have any God but me, don't worship me in any way other than how I've told you to, don't use my name lightly, keep my day holy, honor your parents, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not tell lies, and do not covet, which means to have this jealous desire or lust for something or someone. So we have two positives there, two do's, and eight do-nots as part of the Ten Commandments. The first four are all about the relationship between uh, the Israelites and God, and the other six deal with the relationships among themselves as God's people, as this covenant community. And it's important at the beginning, I think, to consider what our relationship should be to the rules and laws and commands of the Bible. Exodus is one of the first five books of the Bible, and, uh, or of the Old Testament, and it's the section that uh, Jewish people call the Torah, which simply means the law. But the Torah is not really a law book, right? Law books usually have this big, comprehensive set of rules. They try to cover as many circumstances as possible in an organized way. But today's passage is really actually the very first example of laws being given in the Torah, and it happens 69 chapters into the book. Like, there is a lot of preamble if this is a law book. And the laws of the Torah are not presented in a terribly systematic way. They appear in various places. They repeat multiple times in some cases. 
there are so, also are not nearly enough of them. And I know it does not feel that way if you've been doing your read the Bible through a year plan and you're partway through Leviticus and you just can't read one more paragraph about what you're supposed to do with mold or mildew on your clothes or in your house. Right? But according to the most definitive count, there are 613 unique laws in the law. And that's a lot to memorize, but it's not nearly enough to run a whole civil and religious life of a group of people. There are, in fact, only two laws, for example, related to divorce in the whole of the law, and neither goes into enough detail about uh, this or, or gives enough clarity as to what's supposed to happen in most circumstances. So that is a really important subject, and you would need more than that to go on. And that's why the Jewish people developed separate documents to fill in some of these gaps. I guess what I'm getting at is that you're not reading the Bible well if you're trying to use it as a rule book because that's not what it is. It is, in fact, a storybook. It is the story of who God is and how he's chosen to relate to us, us who are his rebellious creatures that he is working to rescue. Laws and rules and commands are part of the story. And some of them are there because they're helpful still today in avoiding harm. Some of them are not terribly relevant today, including the ones about keeping mold and mildew under control in certain circumstances, but they still have value in telling us things about what God cares about. In this case, caring about his people and their health, and they're not causing trouble to one another uh, by infecting each other with things, which, you know, is kind of relevant right about now. But the Bible doesn't lay out all of these rules, you know, these 613 rules of the Torah for the purpose of teaching us how to live perfectly. They are, in fact, there to show us that we cannot live perfectly. They shine light to expose darkness so that we will turn to great God for grace and for mercy. And that brings us back to uh, our theme for March. The last Sunday, we'll talk about uh, the practices of self-examination and confession as we're kind of in the middle of this season of Lent. And to start again with self-examination, I've talked about self-examination as being kind of like a spiritual MRI. And I think that's kind of a good analogy. But imagine for a second what would happen if you go and you get your MRI scan and uh, the, the technician comes out and says, okay, you know, here are your results. And he hands you a stack of papers with all the images on them. And, and then they just send you home, right? No, no follow-up, no explanation, just here you go. Now you know. That would not do me any good at all, because I don't know what my insides are supposed to look like on an MRI scan. I don't have the medical knowledge to that. If I was going to make any sense of it, I would at least need some other scans as a comparison. Maybe scans of what I used to look like versus what I look like now. Maybe scans of what a regular healthy person looks like compared to what I look like. Spiritual self-examination benefits from having knowledge and comparisons to help you understand how it is you are actually doing. If you just go into prayer and you say, God, reveal to me any improper things that are going on within me, that could very well lead to some major revelations, but it could also lead to your mind going blank for a few seconds until you start thinking about what to have for lunch, right? So it helps a lot if you compare yourself to a reliable standard, which is why Adele Calhoun's Spiritual Disciplines Handbook suggests confessing sin by examining your life in light of things like the seven deadly sins or the Ten Commandments. And these challenge us by pointing us to an example of sin to see whether or not it's something that we are guilty of practicing or whether maybe we're missing an opportunity to rise to a higher standard. And so if we use the Ten Commandments as a guide, 
let's see what that might look like. We'll, we'll do that here. But I want to first just make sure we remember that the Bible tells us a story of who God is and what matters to him. It doesn't serve as a legalistic list of rules. Because if I go and I use the Ten Commandments and just kind of treat it like a checklist of laws, then I might come away saying, well, I did not stick an idol to the storm god Baal in my front yard. And, you know, I didn't do anything mean to my parents today. And I didn't sleep around on my wife. And I didn't murder anybody. And I didn't steal from the store. So I'm doing great. Like, check, check, check. You know, I am a righteous man. It's not how this should work. We go deeper than that. Do not have any God but me invites us to consider whether we are putting things, even good things, ahead of being with God or being faithful to God. Where do your thoughts tend to drift these days? Do not use my name lightly. Challenges us to see if we have called on God to justify ourselves or manipulate somebody else. Right? It was just this week that uh, Vladimir Putin quoted uh, from the words of Jesus in John 15, 13, to justify his unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. Like that, that is taking the Lord's name in vain, like at the vilest level that there is. Have you told anyone that you know God wants it this way, or this is supposed to happen like this, or you're supposed to do this for me because God says so? And keep my day holy is in there. And that, you know, that's actually the one of the Ten Commandments that I don't think is, is binding on Christians in a strict way. And yet this is still the commandment that is the most uncomfortable for me because it asks me to consider whether or not I'm living my life with proper boundaries in my time and energy, whether I am choosing to find adequate rest, which God created me to need. Do not murder. That sounds like a slam dunk, right? At least you're always going to have one out of ten. But Jesus is teaching tells us that we should expand our thinking about this, that we should examine ourselves to see if we are harboring anger against anyone. Who do you wish bad things would happen to? I'll give you a pass on Vladimir Putin, but for everybody else, you know. Do not commit adultery. You know, that, again, we can expand that to test ourselves. Are we being faithful, not just physically, but emotionally? How well are we living up to our marriage vows for those who are married, those vows to honor and cherish? Do not covet. Man, that is a powerful law today in our consumerist culture where we're bombarded constantly with advertising, where we see these curated images from social media about how everybody else is doing and what they have. It invites us to ask ourselves, how often am I wishing for what other people seem to have? How annoyed am I with other people in my life who seem to have something better or easier than I do? So, like, I skipped a few of the ten for time, but I think we get the idea at this point that the commandments, especially when we supplement them by what we know in the Bible and from Jesus in particular, they show us the principles and priorities of things that matter to God beyond their specific rules. And you can use other passages for self-examination and confession. Psalm 51 is a prayer of confession that might be used to acknowledge sin. You could use the famous love chapter uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And just examine whether or not I am expressing a love that is patient and kind and does not envy and does not boast and is not easily proud and does not dishonor others and is not self-seeking and is not easily angered and keeps no records of wrongs but rejoices with the truth. Another powerful passage with some important do's and do nots from the New Testament is Galatians 5. I'm going to Read the whole thing because it connects so well to a few different aspects of what we've talked about already. 
where the Apostle Paul writes, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. So if we were to go and examine ourselves at the end of a day or a week and consider those fruit of the Spirit, I don't think we would have a hard time seeing areas where we did fall short, where we should confess, where we should ask for God's help in living by the Spirit. Now, I started by saying that some people's experiences of Christians is their sense of that we're against things. And I've heard Christians say that we need to make sure the world understands those things that we are for rather than simply against. And I do agree with that. Followers of Jesus are for love and grace and just and compassionate action, proclaiming what is truly good news to a world that needs to know Jesus. And it would be a good thing for the witness of the church if we were better known for these things. But we should also be known for those things we are against. You see, the reality is that we are against things, that the Bible tells us what kinds of things are healthy, what kinds of things whole and Christ-like people shall not do. So we believe there is a standard. We believe God has a standard and that we shouldn't be shy about being against anything that falls short of that. Now, I strongly desire that disciples of Jesus would be thoughtful people, People who recognize that there is complexity, there is gray area in our world when it comes to living out our faith in a messy and fallen reality. But there's also right and wrong, and they aren't determined by what is most popular at any given moment. If you're a Christian, you're going to be against some things. And some of those things, they may be political issues, they may be matters of law or justice or or ethics. But here's the thing. When I read my Bible, I don't see these as our main area of battle. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 spells this out so well, where it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right? What are we supposed to be against? We're supposed to be against evil, against the schemes of our spiritual enemy. And the front lines of this battle is found within our very souls, which is why we're commanded to put on this armor of God, which begins with truth, right? self-examination to find truth and includes righteousness, readiness, faith, salvation, and the word of God. And this is not armor that is designed to help us clobber the people around us but rather to slay the demons who want to corrupt us from the inside out so that we can offer strength 
and then support to other people in their own battles. Now, this is not to say that there are no social or political issues where Christians shouldn't stand up and say, we're against this. There are. We should be willing to stand up for what's good and right in the public square as well. But we must not become people who have passionate positions on policies instead of having genuine dependence on Jesus. I mean, what we don't want to become our people who use the Bible really just in order to prove points and arguments rather than to seek God or to challenge their own thoughts and their own attitudes. I mean, someone who knows how to pray for this politician to lose an election or for this law to pass, but does not know how to pray for God to search their heart or for God to grow their compassion or for God to teach them how to love their enemies, that person is not in a good spiritual place. That does not represent an example that other Christians should follow. The battle against the devil's schemes begins within us. And self-examination and confession are powerful weapons in that battle. To know what is happening at the soul level, to recognize our true motivations, to see where we are missing the mark compared to God's standard and what his word tells us is good and right. And then to confess that, to confess it to God, to confess it to those around us. And I certainly have lots of room to grow in this, and you know, especially in recognizing what's needed or when it's needed. But I do try to not let pride get in the way of regularly practicing confession. When I've been thoughtless or cranky and distracted at home with Amy, I try to acknowledge that and get back on track quickly. If I lose patience and blow up at the kids, I often stop and apologize to them, even when they were so little they could barely understand the words, just to make sure that they know that that reaction is wrong regardless of their behavior and so that they understand that apologizing is important. I once called home from the office and I asked Amy to put our dog Jupiter on the phone. (laughs) Because I I needed to apologize to him for being mean on our walk that morning because it was one of those cold, rainy days and he just refused to go stop and go pee anywhere and he made us stay out there like 10 minutes more than we needed to. And Anyway, confession is important. We should practice it for our sake, but also we should model it for the sake of the people around us and those who we have any influence over. So my hope is that this teaching about the nature of the laws in the Bible and their purpose will help you see the value in the shall nots of the shall nots of the Bible and all these different sections of, that are full of commands because they're not there to overload you with rules so that you can add them to your checklist. They're, not, they're there to help you recognize the kinds of things that God cares about and then to warn you away from those things which might harm you. The shall nots as well as the shalls are helpful guides to self-examination and confession. They're tools that we can use to test ourselves and see where we are missing the mark and where we should confess to those shortcomings. But this is not a process that's meant to be horribly scary and, and painful. It's, if we only had the law, then we would always be tempted to run away from it because it's so uncomfortable to have sin exposed. But we live on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus. He paid the price for our sin already. It is finished. And so when we follow him, we have new spiritual life and we have the comfort and encouragement of the Holy Spirit, which means it's possible to recognize where sin is at work in our lives, secure in the love and grace of our Savior, who helps us to see it and to name it and to confess it and to move forward seeking to be more like Jesus.
And that should make us into people who are passionately against certain things. And we should not be afraid of who knows it. We should want the world to see that, yes, followers of Jesus are very much against pride and arrogance. They are very much against lies and deceit. They are against selfishness. They are against using and abusing people. They are against hatred and divisiveness. They are against indifference. They are against ignorance. Because the devil builds his schemes on the foundations of these things. So let's not give him a foothold in our souls by ignoring what is happening within us, not bothering to turn to our Bibles to be reminded of what is right and wrong, or by refusing to put ourselves to the test in order to see and confess those things that just don't live up to the calling that we have as followers of Jesus. We've got the Ten Commandments. We've got the armor of God. We've got the fruit of the Spirit. We've got much more. So let's not forget them or neglect them but rather glorify the name of Jesus in our lives and in our church and in our world by how strongly we are against those things that Jesus was against. Let me offer a word of prayer for that. Lord God, I would pray that you help us not to neglect our souls because that is where the most important battle of all wages. We look at our, our messy world and the brokenness in it and sometimes we think that that's that's the front line, but it's not. Because we can't go out and truly do good in that world if we are in such a state of blindness or brokenness that we end up stumbling around and making things worse or causing harm or straining relationships when we intended to do good, but we did not do that work to see where we were with you and to ask your help in getting rid of what doesn't belong within us. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to desire to be those Christ-like people who are, are healthy and whole, those people who are on their way to what, that work that you will someday complete by making us like your son, making us fully human as we were created to be. And so I ask for that intentional desire, that, that courage to go, to test ourselves against your standard, recognizing that we stand secure in your love and your grace, that we cannot earn anything, that we cannot be loved more by, by you by anything we do but that that would move us to a desire to represent you as well as we possibly can in this world that needs to know your love and grace. All this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.